We want to thank you today for joining us at Truth Chapel's podcast. I pray this word would bring you life. I pray that it would edify you, encourage you, and enlighten you. If you have a moment, please subscribe and leave us a review. We will be so grateful. God bless, and let this word speak to your heart today. Philippians chapter 2, I want to read for you three verses, five uh, six, seven, and eight, actually four, uh, four verses, beginning in verse five. Let's read what the word says. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross amen I'll read a few more scriptures tonight but I'm going to stop right there and tonight I want to just speak to you on a very simple topic and uh, it's been a common phrase for the last couple of decades of what would Jesus do? WWJD. We see it on the coffee mugs and people wear it on the wristbands and t-shirts. WWJD. What would Jesus do? Um, so tonight I want to teach to you what did Jesus do? Not, not would he do? As if there's a question to us not having the answer to that. What did Jesus do? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. I ask you to speak to us through this word, encourage us, grow us, mature us, lead us as we go through this study in your word and help us tonight. Here's what we want help with, Lord. Help us to become more like you, more Christ-like. And Lord, I pray tonight that you would do that through your word, accomplish it in us. I speak it in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. And the church said amen. Amen. Would you put your hands together one time, give God a hand clap of praise, and you can be seated in his presence tonight. What would Jesus do? That very common phrase that we've all heard, it's, it's, it's overplayed, it's overdone. Um, and I think it's uh, just, just a gentle reminder for all of us uh, that we should try to think like Jesus and maybe act like Jesus, behave like Jesus. Jesus, that that would be the ultimate goal of a Christian, would to be Christ-like. Um, and 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 that that phrase, that that topic of what would Jesus do, I think is just a a gentle reminder to us that we should think like Jesus in situations. And the concept of what would Jesus do? Thank you so much, Brother Andrew. I think the concept of what would Jesus do <clears throat> is easily answered when we ask the question, What did Jesus do? What did he do? What, 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 what was his attitude and spirit? And I, there's probably um, a two or three hour long lesson here of what Jesus did. Uh, but I want to break it down for us uh, in some simple concepts that we find in the book of Philippians chapter 2. And that is these things. Number one, the Bible says this in Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 5. As Paul is writing to the Philippian church, the church in Philippi, he's writing to them. And here's what he says to them. Here's what he admonishes them to do is he says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. 
So not just, not just be like Jesus, but think like Jesus. To, to let the mind of Jesus be the mind of you. That, your, that you would pray that, Lord, let my mind be like your mind. Let me think like you would think. Because all of us are controlled by a thought life. Very rarely do we act without thinking. And now I know we say, you know, we've all been in moments where we say, well, I just acted and I didn't think. And it's easy to say that. uh, But if you understand a human physiology, that was not possible. Whatever is in the well comes up in the bucket. There's always a thought process to what you're doing. Now, I think a lot of us have let our actions outweigh our mind. Amen. That our behavior is more weightier than our thought life. But our thought life is in control. And if we think it, we say it. I think sometimes we think of it in this way that uh, in certain times and certain moments in life, your filter is a little thinner than other times in life. And the filter of your mind to your mouth or the filter of your mind to your heart doesn't always work that if you think it, you say it. Because as my grandfather would tell me, he would say, Court, whatever you think, you'll believe. And it gets into your heart. And out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaketh. Don't let it get into your mind. If it gets in your mind, it'll get in your heart. And if it gets in your heart, it'll come out your mouth. Now, I know that we all understand that my heart is not ever speaking. It's just a muscle in my chest. But you understand the conscience and subconscious of mankind. We are, uh, we're not humans having a spiritual experience. I'm sorry, but we are spiritual beings having a human experience. We are living a human experience. But our souls are here. Our, our, we're, we're, we're living that physiological Life where our, our bodies control us, but we are living, breathing souls that when God breathed into man, he breathed into him his life. And so if I let it get in my mind, it'll eventually come out my mouth. And so when Paul is writing, he's writing and he's saying, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus because he's about to deliver to us Jesus his behaviors. He's going to show us what Jesus' behaviors were, but he's trying to show us that the behaviors that Jesus um, exemplified on this planet started in his mind. Let me say that again. The behaviors that Jesus had started in his mind. Your behaviors begin up here. Amen. Amen. Maybe I should be louder tonight. What I'm trying to show to you tonight is that if you don't win the mind game, you cannot win the behavior game. All of us want, everybody in this room has some kind of behavior in your life that you want to be more in control of. You, you have a behavior in your, a habit, let's call it a habit, a behavioral habit in your life that you would love to have a little more control of because maybe that behavior uh, doesn't do your body good. Maybe that behavior doesn't do your family good. Maybe that behavior doesn't do your marriage any good. Maybe that behavior is destructive to your 
to your body, destructive to your friends, destructive to your family. And this is a behavior that you would like to be more in control of or maybe even eradicate from your life, this behavior. Well, understanding this is that our behavior begins in our minds. And it's not just easy as saying, okay, I want to be better here. And, and I'll, so I'll fix this behavior, <clears throat> but I need to fix my thinking because I'm controlled. My behavior is controlled by my thought life. And so as Paul is writing to us that we need to be more like Christ, he begins by saying, let this mind. And it, it would also be Paul who would say, <clears throat> don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, your mind. You you. You can't be transformed if your mind's not transformed. You can't change behavior if you can't change your thinking. Stinking thinking has got a lot of us in trouble. And, and it's like it's, nothing really happened in, in, the, in the world. It just happened in our head. And because it happened in our head, we produced it in life. We, 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 we filled in the blank in our heads and our behaviors followed our thinking. Amen. So when, as Paul is trying to get us to be more Christ-like, he begins at the top. Think better. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Watch this. Who being in the form of God thought, he's still thinking about our heads. He's, he's, he's still thinking about, he's still talking about our heads. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God. You say, well, how does, how does Paul know how Jesus thought? Because when, when they said, show us the Father, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I, I do no works by myself. I do everything I'm doing is by the Father. And this is why, listen, it's important that you understand these scriptures because this is why the, the Pharisaical and the Sadduceical Jews hated Jesus because Jesus would equal himself to God. He said, he, he, even um, the, the, the high priest would say, uh, Caiaphas would say, is it true that you say that, that, that you, you are the son of the living God? And, and Jesus just says, thou sayest it. And it infuriates them to the point where they are willing to commit murder because he believes, he believes that he is the son of God. And not only that, but he is speaking it. And so here's the first thing that Jesus did is that Jesus thought correctly about himself. But this mind being you, that was also Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He thought correctly. So the first thing that we have to do when we think about being like Jesus is we have to think correctly about ourselves. What do you think about you? Most of us are in trouble tonight in some kind of way, form, or fashion because of what we think about ourselves. We've made a decision about ourselves. And that decision that we have about ourselves has produced in us where we're living right now, what we're doing who we are and how we are. We have made up our minds about who we are. But Paul is trying to get us to see 
that we should think like Jesus who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He wasn't telling us that we should think we are gods. That's a whole other religion, the little God's religion, which is not true. It's heres, you know, heres, uh, I don't even know what the word, heresy. I'm not a little God. I'm not a little G God walking this planet. I believe that I am full of the Holy Ghost. And I believe that God's walking in me, but I don't ever at no point think I am him. But I do think that he called me out of darkness into his marvelous light for a reason. He saw something in me that I need to see in myself. That I understand that I am called, chosen, a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. When you look at me, you're looking at a king's kid. I'm not a pauper. Amen. I'm, look what Paul would tell us in, um, in, in the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, if you ever want to do a good read, I believe it's Galatians chapter 4, when, when Paul is telling us about, for, and when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might, not receive, uh, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And uh, we, he sent his, the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. <laughs> Paul says, listen, you're, you're not a servant anymore. You've, your status is son. Your status is daughter. You're not a servant to sin. You're not a servant to the world. And you're not a servant to God. In God's eyes, you are a son. You are a daughter. And sons and daughters, and watch what he says in Galatians 4. He says, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. How do, how do you think about yourself tonight? Do you think that you're a son of God, a daughter of God, an heir of Christ? Or do you think that you are part of a great project that God's working on and he's lording over you tonight, taking notes, everything you've done wrong today? And the only reason you're really here in this room tonight is because you don't want to go to hell. Because most Christian people, that's the only reason they're really here. Is they're terrified of hell and so they have a bunch of lists that they want to check off so that they can feel to themselves, yes, I've done the right things and God should be good to me now because I've done. Listen, you wasn't good before and you probably ain't good now, but he's good. And you're his child. How do you think about yourself? Here's, here's what Jesus did. Jesus thought correctly about himself. How do you think about yourself? Because when you're out in the world and sin is creeping around the corner and temptation's in your heart, and if you just see yourself as a servant, well, it's easy to walk away from those things. It's easy not to have any kind of connection. It's, it's easy not to have any kind of commitment. But if I'm a son, it's different. If I'm an heir, if everything my dad has is mine, I'm an heir. And I don't walk around here thinking poorly of myself or my life, or anything about, because my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And the silver and the gold and the carbuncle is his, and the oil in the ground is his. The earth and the fullness thereof is his, and I'm his child. How do you think of yourself? If you're going to be like Jesus, then you have to think correctly. What would Jesus do? I'll tell you what Jesus did. He thought of himself in the right light, so he conducted himself accordingly. You cannot conduct yourself accordingly if you don't think of yourself accordingly. You show me someone 
who is vile, evil, angry, full of debauchery and sin. And I'll show you someone who probably, even if, even if they have a narcissistic attitude who says I'm better than everybody else, if you get deep down on the inside, what you'll see is someone that has low self-esteem, who thinks so lowly of themselves. When, 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 when all of the, the pomp and circumstance fades, I'll show you a person who thinks nothing of themselves. They think that they are trash. Because how you think of yourself relegates how you conduct yourself. Watch what he says next. He said he thought it not robbery to be equal to the guy. He thought of himself correctly. This is the first thing that Jesus did. What, what did Jesus do? He thought of himself correctly. Second thing is he made of himself no reputation. The Bible says in verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. In other words, is that when Jesus was doing things, listen, for, for, for us to say that Jesus didn't make a reputation for himself is crazy. We're still talking about him 2,000 years ago. If anybody ever went viral, Jesus went viral, okay? Like, yes, the man still has the greatest reputation of any person on the planet. Here's the deal. He wasn't making it for himself. You see what I'm saying? You see what Paul's trying to tell us here? Paul's trying to say, yes, Jesus is probably the most, probably has the, the biggest reputation of anybody in the history of mankind. But that history that made, he didn't make it himself or he didn't make it about himself. Yes, he healed the sick. But look in your Bible and see what Jesus would do when he would heal someone. He would bring them to the side and he would say, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone I healed you. And the Bible said they would go and publish it all the more. Reverse psychology. And we, and, and we read those scriptures and we understand that multitudes follow Jesus. Thousands of people at a time would literally follow Jesus. So he made of himself no reputation. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, Paul, because the Jesus I know had an unbelievable reputation. He was so well known. What Paul's trying to tell us here is, Yes, Jesus had an amazing reputation, but he wasn't doing it for that. Everything he did, he did to bring glory to God. He was doing everything that he did, he did for a couple of reasons. To bring glory to God the Father. Or to, to, to show the power of, of God. They said, Jesus, why, why was this man born blind? Did he sin or did his mom and dad sin? And Jesus said he was born blind for this moment, that the glory of God would be revealed in him. And everything that Jesus did was to reveal God's glory and God's power and God's love for people. Everything that Jesus did was to show forth the praises and the kingdom of God. And yes, it made him an amazing reputation, but he was not doing those things to make himself a reputation. There is a difference. He made of himself no reputation and took on the form of a servant. Everything he did that made him so reputable, he did in a servant mind frame. In his mind, he was serving. In, in his mind, 
He was serving the people of God, and he was serving God the Father. In his mind, he was serving the prophets, and he was serving uh, the prophesied word of God. In his mind, it was not about him. It was about others. How you think about it matters. Let me say that again. How you think about it matters. And yes, I know great people on this earth that are great servants of God and have amazing reputations, but they weren't doing it for themselves. They were doing to serve other people. And when you have a true servant's heart, you will probably have a reputation. You think David wanted a reputation? You think David was seeking a reputation? Here's how we know that David did not care about a reputation. is because when he stood before Saul and Saul told him, you cannot fight Goliath and you can't fight Goliath because he's a man of war since his youth and you are nothing but a youth. This is what Saul, this was Saul's reasoning for David to not go fight Goliath. David admits in this moment, <clears throat> he said, as your servant watched his father's sheep. Number one, David represents himself as a servant. David's not trying to say, oh, I'm big and bad and I'm killing, I'm, I'm out here killing everything. But David presents himself as a servant. He says, while your servant watched his father's sheep, a lion came and a bear and I grabbed them and I struck them down and I killed them because I was a servant over the sheep. And here's how we know that David was not trying to make of himself no reputation because nobody knew that before he told Saul. His father didn't know. If his father knew that he was killing lions and bears, he probably would have sent him to battle with his brothers. His brothers didn't know. If his brothers knew that he was killing lions and bears, Eliab, his brother, would not have talked to him with the disrespect that he had just talked to him a few verses before. David was not there to make a reputation. David was there to be a servant. Matter of fact, the only reason that David was on the battlefield that day is because his dad asked him to go serve his brothers, cheese and bread, and to take their oath to see how they were doing. And David shows up as a servant. He leaves as a soldier. He comes to the battlefield carrying a, a, basically a charcuterie board, uh, but he leaves carrying the head of Goliath. Because he shows up as a servant, he leaves as a soldier. He was not trying to make of himself no reputation. He wasn't trying to tell people, man, I'm killing lions, I'm killing bears. He was just serving his father. He was serving the position. This is what Paul is trying to get us to see about Jesus. Is Jesus made of himself no reputation, but he took on the form of a servant. He wasn't trying to be all big and bad. He was the greatest soldier of eternity when he fought against death, hell, and the grave and took the keys so that me and you could live an eternal life and be free from sin. But that's not how he showed up. He did not show up on a horse with a sword in his hand. No, that's revelation. When he comes back the next time, he's going to be on a stallion. He's going to be mad. But the first time he came, he came as a servant. He just wanted to serve us. Took, up, took on himself. No, no reputation, no, 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 no name in neon lights. He was just trying to serve. What did Jesus do? He was a servant. He was a servant who cared nothing about his reputation, only that he was doing the will of the Father. And he was made in the likeness of men. 
What does that mean to us? Well, he was approachable. He was relatable. He took on the likeness of a man. He became a man. He, he was relatable. We could relate to him. We, we could touch him. We, we, it, Hebrews would tell us this. Hebrews would tell us we don't have a high priest that has not been touched with our infirmities. We, no, no, that was, old, that was olden days where, where the high priest didn't know about how real life really worked. He stayed in the temple. We don't have a high priest that has not been touched with our, but our high priest has been tried and, and, and persecuted and tempted in every way like as we, in every point like as we. Our high priest feels our pain. Yeah. He was made into the likeness of men so that he would know what betrayal felt like. So that he would know what heartache felt like. So he would know what loss felt like. He was made, he was relatable. Me, when, when, when we think about what we should be doing or what Jesus did and what would Jesus do, we should be relatable to people. Some of us have become so spiritual and so high-minded, we forgot what it was like to be lost and in sin and undone. And we, would, we couldn't, people see us on the streets, they probably wouldn't ever talk to us because we look so prim and proper. And I'm not saying that we should walk around not looking prim and proper. What I'm saying is there is a relatable, connectable way that God wants us to walk on this planet that anybody, anywhere, at any time could approach you or approach me and say, this is a man, a child of God, and, but they've also been through some stuff. They've also faced some heartache. The moment that I become a professional Pentecostal, I lose my relatability. Amen. The, 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 the moment I become a professional Christian, I lose my relatability. The moment I forget, he, Paul would tell us this so many times, but one of the major ways he would tell us is like, he said, such were some of you. Don't, don't, don't get it twisted. Such were some of you. I remember you. And then Paul said, matter of fact, I was the chief. I was the chief sinner. I was, I was MVP of sinning. I, I was on the starting lineup. Put me in, coach. I was the chief sinner. I'm no better than anybody. Paul said, I become all things to all men. It's made in the likeness of man. He gets me. Jesus gets you. He gets you. That's why you can talk to him, because he gets you. And when you, when you, when you kneel down beside your bed or you're driving on your way to work and, you got, and you're heavy, you can take it to him. You can lay that heaviness down and he gets you. He'll listen. He'll hear. And you're not talking to some far off mythical creature. This ain't Harry Potter. He's a real God. Close as the mention of his name. You can talk to him and he's, he's relatable. He's the high priest that's been touched with our infirmities. You say, Lord, I'm just struggling. Jesus, I mean, I know how it feels. I know how it feels to struggle. My family's done me wrong. Oh, I know. My family did me wrong too. Well, they, they turned their backs on me. I know I had 12 disciples. Only one showed up to my death. And one of them was a devil. And one of them was an idiot. Jesus, I did everything for them and they walked away from me. He's like, oh yeah. You ever read Genesis? I had a church of two people. I had a church split. I had to kick them out. I know what you're talking about. I, I know what hurt feels like because he made himself in the likeness of men. In verse 8, and I'm almost finished. And being found in the fashion of a man, and being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself 
and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. What did Jesus do? He took up his cross. He became obedient to the cross. He, be he became obedient unto death. And he took up the cross, even the death of the cross. This is what Jesus did. If you want to know what Jesus did, he was obedient to the cross. And we have to be obedient to the cross every day. This is what Jesus would tell us. Any man, any man that would follow me, let him first deny himself. Let, let, let him put away his selfish desires and his will and his plan and his ideas and the blueprint for his life. Let him throw it away. Give it up. Walk away from it. Let him take up a cross and follow me. That's what Jesus did. You can wear the wristband all you want to. What did Jesus do? But we know what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Not what would Jesus do. No, what did Jesus do? He became obedient unto that death. But Paul said it <coughs> so clear to us when he said, I die daily. I take up my cross daily. Because Jesus took, Jesus took a physical death that was also spiritual. But, but, but I submit myself to a spiritual death every day because every day I put away my desires, the things that I want, my flesh wants, and, and, and I walk away from it. And, and by doing that is a spiritual form of me taking up my cross every day and doing what Jesus did. He took real nails in his hands. He took real beatings. He died a real death. But I die a spiritual death every day. I die a spiritual death when I want to clap back at people, but I shut my mouth. Amen. I, I die a spiritual death every day when there's that temptation that's there and I look away from it and say, no, Lord, I'm not doing that. I die a spiritual death. Not Listen, I'm never tempted to rob a bank ever. Okay, I, we, we talk about sin and what does sin look like. But you know what? When we read Romans 1 or even Galatians 5 and we talk about, you know, the, the gifts of the Spirit and all that stuff, but we also talk about the works of the flesh. If you start reading through those works of the flesh, you'll see how every day you're bombarded by sins, envy, strife, jealousy. And when those things come in your mind and your spirit... <clears throat> You crucify those things by saying, no, Lord, I, I give that to you. I walk away from that. I, I refuse to do that. I nail it to the cross. I nail my desires to the cross. I, I nail my, all of my wants, all, of, all this stuff that I want that I know I don't need, and I know that if I did get it, it'd be a sin to get it. And it's a sin for even me to think this way, Lord, and so I nail it to the cross. Paul talked about taking over the imaginations of your mind and pulling them into authority. That's what taking them, take those imaginations and I nail them to that cross. I put them under the authority of the cross and that's what Jesus did. I don't need a wristband for that. I, I, what did Jesus do? He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. <clears throat> Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Be obedient to death.
Be obedient to the cross, even the death of the cross. That cross, that cross that he bore for me and for you is the cross that we have to bear for him to become what Jesus wants us to be. There is a redemptive lift. There is a redemptive lift when I begin to crucify myself because the Lord knows what's right for me. He knows what's good for me. And when I have those moments and I nail those things to the cross of my mind and nail those things to the cross of my spirit and I become obedient like that, every day I get better and better and better and better. Because if you become obedient to the cross, you will have the power of resurrection. Hallelujah. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that will lift you up too. Every, every, day, every day that I put it away, the flesh grows weaker and the spirit grows stronger. Every day that I nail that flesh to the cross and all my desires, that flesh dies a little bit more every day. And the spirit man is getting healthier and stronger. And I can turn away things easier. And I have moments where I want to say something. But my filter is better today than it was six months ago. And I'm saying, Lord, I'm not going to say that. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to let it come into my mind. I love you. I, I, I hope nothing but good for you. I'll pray for those that spitefully. Listen, you can't get the Holy Ghost on Monday and pray for your enemies on Tuesday. That takes a little while. That takes some maturity. It takes a couple days of nailing some flesh through the cross and say, you know what? I'll pray for my enemies. Who prays for their enemies? Jesus did. That's what, that's what he did. He said, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's what Jesus did. Yeah. That's why he told us to forgive them as we ask him to forgive us. Because that's what Jesus would do. That's what he would do. He would nail himself to the cross. He said, well, no, it was, it was the Roman soldiers that nailed him to the cross. But they could do nothing without him. He could have called 10,000 legions of angels to his side. He allowed it. He allowed himself to suffer so that we might be free. And I have to allow myself to suffer. I have to deny myself. You're sitting in this room today and you're not used to denying yourself. Then it's probably really hard for you to hear a message like this. Because me and you live in such a world that tells us every day, if it feels good, do it. If it makes you happy, do it. If she makes you happy, go with it. If he makes you happy, go. Oh, don't worry. Baby, you got to, you got to go with your heart. And the, and the Bible tells us so many times, only a fool would follow his heart. The Bible tells us that. A fool follows his heart because the fool, your heart is exceedingly wicked. It takes a wise man to say, I know my heart wants it, but the word says no. And so between the word and the world, I will stretch myself out and I will die daily. That's what Jesus would do. Come on, somebody. That's what Jesus would do. That's what Jesus would do. That's what he would do. He would suffer and sacrifice for life. And I promise you today, 
If you'll get your mind right and your heart right, and you will stop asking the questions of what would Jesus do and start asking the question, what did Jesus do? What did he do? Then you'll see that Paul preached the message of the cross and just like Jesus did. If any man would follow me, let him be obedient to that death. If you want to be like me, want to follow me, let him, let him take up his cross and follow me. And this is why, this is why he looked at the woman with issue of blood and he called her daughter. And he looked at a prostitute and told her, oh, daughter, go sin no more. But he looked at Peter and he said, Satan. Wait a minute, you look at a prostitute, call her daughter, but you look at Peter and call him Satan? Yes, because Peter's the only one who tried to make me avoid the cross. Peter looked at me and said, you don't need the cross. You don't have to do this. And he said, get thee behind me, Satan. I'll look at all this whole world, all these people, and I'll call them, I'll tell them I love them, I'll touch the leper, I'll touch the blinded eyes, I'll, I'll heal the prostitute, but anybody that tries to make me avoid the cross, that's the enemy. That's the devil. Because the cross has to be a part of my life. For me to be who God wants me to be and to walk in the fullness, I got to take that cross up every day. Every day. There's not a day I can avoid. Every day. I got to walk in the, I got to walk in the shadow of the cross. And some days it's easy because I've been doing it for a long time. But some days it's hard. Some days it's tough. Some days I say, Lord, I just want to just do what I want to do. I want to say what I want to say. I want to act like how I want to act. Amen? Not act. That's what y'all say in Georgia. We, in North Carolina, we say act. Lord, I want to act like I want to act. And the Lord says, nay, nay. Don't you do it. You better stay under that cross. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. It's not that it's not there. It's not that it doesn't exist. Anybody that tells you it does, they're lying. It's just that I don't let it happen. I don't entertain it. Just say, Lord, I'm going to be all right. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it, but I will also die today. I We want to thank you again for joining us on the Truth Chapel podcast. May you have a blessed day and walk in the favor of the Lord.